Well, hello there, and welcome to the good old days of radio show. This is John Jeffteller, your official host, and we have an official guest today. Before I get to that, uh, let me just say that uh, we've had lots of great reaction to the last uh, weeks of the good old days of radio show. Uh, it seems like there's more and more uh, listeners all the time, and uh, it's growing and growing, and that's great. Uh, that means more people are either finding us or more people are getting into old-time radio shows. I'm not sure which it is, but either way, it's great. So uh, today is going to be the first of several programs featuring a special guest from way down under in the wonderful country of Australia, which I visited a couple of years ago when my uh, daughter got married down there. His name is Keith Scott. If you are a Facebook user and you frequent any of the sites related to old-time radio and old movies and things like that, you will see Mr. Scott commenting every now and then on different posts and different things and occasionally posting things. Keith Scott has been the leading impressionist and cartoon voice actor of Australia for a long time. We won't say how long. I'll let him say that if he wants to. He's done radio and TV, voices, everything for a long, long time. I guess in Australia, there's a show called Hey, Hey, It's Saturday and The Midday Show. So those of you listening in Australia will know him from that. You'll also know him as a local performer on, on cruise ships and uh, I guess nightclubs too. You do nightclubs too, right, Keith? Oh, yeah, still, okay. still drag out uh, my voices for all of those venues. Okay. Years ago, they used to refer to actor Lon Chaney as the man of a thousand faces. And I'm going to say that I have to refer to you as the man of a thousand voices, because that's what you do. Um, <laughs> most, most people who are my age or older will remember, and I say remember because I think he's still alive, Rich Little in the USA was uh, was and maybe is uh, a great impressionist of different people, probably the most famous one that the USA has produced. And Keith Scott is the most famous one that the country of Australia has ever produced. So you're in good company with Mr. Little. Uh, if any of you right. have seen the 1999 Bullwinkle film, Adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle. You heard Keith as the voice of Bullwinkle and the narrator. He also appeared as the narrator of the Brandon Fraser film, George of the Jungle. And if you go to Universal Theme Parks, you will hear Keith do Popeye at the Orlando, Florida Park ride. He also is a author of books. The Mouse That Roared, a detailed history of the J. Ward studio. J. Ward produced Fractured Flickers and Bullwinkle and George of the Jungle TV cartoons and all kinds of stuff for you baby boomers that you probably watched when you were a bit younger. And he has a new book out now, uh, Cartoon Voices of the Golden Age. Is it two volumes or one volume? Uh, two volumes, John. It's uh, the, the first is the history of each cartoon studio and how they used all of the great radio actors back in the golden age, like from about 1937 onwards, uh, they were using many, many radio people to do voices in cartoons, and none of them got screen credit. And that was the reason I, I um, researched and wrote this book over a 30-year period, because uh, being in that field, uh, I wanted to uh, kind of really identify all these anonymous people who never really got credit as my idols and people who inspired me when I was a kid. Because I, I guess uh, I guess once I met Skip Craig in America, who was a leading collector of, of uh, all-time radio shows. Oh yes, I really, knew Skip. Oh yeah, no, he was he was a veteran like uh, Dave Golden, and uh, and he worked for the Jay Ward Studio. So I had my interest as a young kid was um, you know these TV cartoons, which uh, really got to me around about the age of six. I kind of knew I was somehow heading into this field. I don't know, didn't know how I was going to do it. But when I met Skip and started collecting old-time radio shows with all of these same people like Orson Welles in the Mercury Theatre and all of this, but uh, but eventually just got hooked on old-time radio as all of your listeners are. 
and um, became a, a historian of it. And uh, I think if you love something so deeply, you you end up becoming very interested in its beginnings. And and I always had a kind of a Sherlock Holmes bent to my nature. So that that explains the books, and that's my convoluted um, answer to your opening. Okay. <laughs> well, I, I remember going to Jay Ward Studios in the mid to late 70s and seeing Skip Craig sitting at his console physically right. editing different things. I think I remember Fractured Flickers he was working on and something else at the time. Yes. I can't remember. But anyway, yeah, he also... Um, he had something to do with the Spike Jones band at one point. Too. Oh yeah, he was the, well. He he was the world's biggest Spike Jones buff as well uh, when he was a kid, and uh, he travelled with the. He ended up getting a job with the with the band, and it was like a dream come true for him. He became the band boy, and sat in on on uh, all of the recording sessions and radio shows and uh, things that they did in the early fifties and toured yeah. with them on their live shows. Yeah, see, I have a vague memory of that, but you have it down exactly. So you're you're. You're better than me when it comes to some of these specific details, and that's great. Um, your well, comment about yeah. uncredited radio actors appearing in cartoons, many, mm -hmm. many of those same radio uh, actors were uncredited even on radio. If you listen to a lot of yeah. these shows, you, you hear they give the main stars credit, and then once in a while, they'll mention others in the cast were, but a lot of times they don't even do that. And so you have to play a game of listen to the voice and see if you can figure out who it is in order to give oh, yeah. proper credit when you're listening to these things. I think, and, and also I think it was around about the early 50s that all the, the shows began crediting all of the supporting radio actors, but uh, it was it depended on the producer. I think there was only a few in the in the 40s. Lux, of course, because it was a big production kind of theatrical, would would if they didn't run out of time, of course, they ran. They did announce all the supporting players, but uh, it got so bad that I I, um, I ended up going up to Thousand Oaks Library when they had all of the um, scripts donated up there from CBS and Pacific Pioneer Broadcasters, and I I did research um, on some of these cartoon people by finding the scripts and and the front cover page would have a cast list. That's how crazy uh, obsessive I became about all of this. Well, that's good. I'm glad somebody did that because I remember yeah. when all those bound volumes of scripts were in the basement yes. at Sunset and Vine, and I would occasionally right. pick up a volume and look at them, but I never thought of actually going in there and writing everything down and keeping track of uh, who was well, on what I, show. I was the crazy one who did. <laughs> oh, that's good. Hey, we need more crazy ones like that uh, <laughs> because it's it's just so sad how all this great, great radio was there and you could hear it but 40 50 years later wherever we are now 60 years later in some cases or more oh, yeah. um, there's no credits for a lot of this stuff and it takes someone like you going in there and actually copying that information before all that stuff gets lost or destroyed somewhere yeah because many many well, it's, now, it's now been moved to um, the university of santa barbara that, yes that it whole has collection it's yeah. been moved i don't know that they moved the scripts there but i know they moved all of the yes. radio transcriptions um right yeah now the scripts are there too because okay. i've already begun doing research now now we can do it internationally via the internet, uh, that's made it a lot easier than an expensive plane trip every few months. <laughs> yeah, but that collection is one of the very, very few that exist. Most of the yeah. scripts, uh, that was mostly CBS scripts at Pacific Pioneer Broadcasters, mm -hmm. now at UC Santa Barbara. It was mostly CBS, but there, I don't know that there is a large collection of scripts from NBC, ABC, or Mutual anywhere. There might be some NBC I, I stuff at the Library of Congress. They're all in the Library, yeah, Library yeah. of Congress, that's right. And there, there are a few outside uh, collections sent to the uh, one that I was talking about, such as Rudy Valley's gigantic collection of scripts. So all of those uh, old shows from 1929 right until the end of his radio career, at least they're there for researchers, you know. I'd be curious if all of them are there because tell you a quick little story I, and I don't know <laughs> um, sure. in 1975 76 right in there when I was working for Groucho Marx the idea was to put together a complete as complete as we could documentation of all his radio material and mm -hmm. he made multiple appearances with Rudy Valley in the early 40s 
So I picked up yeah. the phone book and called Rudy Valley's house, and he answered the phone. <laughs> this was in the mid-'70s. <laughs> and I said, hi, I'm calling on behalf of the um, Groucho Marx archives. We're putting together some things, and I'd like to know if you still have any of the scripts or recordings for uh, Groucho's appearances on your show. And he said, yeah, come on up. And he gave me his address, <laughs> and I went up to his uh, street, which was called Rue de Valet Street. He had the street named <laughs> after him in Southern California, and actually in the Hollywood Hills, Rue de Valet Street. And I, and I walked in, and he was very nice, and he pointed to a wall, and he said, the recordings are over there, and the scripts are over there. If you, if you know what dates you're looking for, they're sort of in order, but not exactly. So have a look. And I went through and I found most of what I was looking for. And he very generously said, just take them. I don't need them back. Wow. I don't need them. Just take them. And so I did. Uh, and I know that other people also went there and <laughs> large amounts of recordings and scripts walked away. So I would be curious uh, to what actually wound up at the Library of Congress or wherever they are, because I've even seen on eBay, even in the last few year or two, I've still seen Rudy Valley scripts popping up on eBay. And it's obviously the same batch for that he had in his house that he had just given to somebody. Wow, so. right. Yeah, there's a lot of that that goes on. So finding oh, yeah. complete runs of anything that have survived all these years of people borrowing them, taking them, being given them, whatever. It's amazing that the stuff still exists anywhere. Exactly, yeah. All right, so you got interested in vintage radio through vintage cartoons. Am I correct with that? Really, yeah, that's right, because I had written to um, a couple of the voice actors in 1970 and 71, that's people like um, Doss Butler, who was, you know, of course, uh, uh, he was Yogi Bear, Mr. Ranger, sir. And uh, all those famous Hanna-Barbera voices. And uh, June Foray, of course, who became the most famous female animation voice. All of them started in their letters telling me about radio. And uh, I was already a, a huge fan of old Hollywood films uh, as a young kid. Which, of course, in those days, you know, they they were on seven days a week, morning, noon, and night, old-time black and white movies of the 30s and 40s. So uh, when even, I heard... Even in Australia, that, uh, through, they were on like that. Oh, yeah. No, no. Australia was always a gigantic consumer of okay. all the American culture and movies and things, and we loved it. But uh, but when I got the letters from these famous voice artists and uh, put two and two together, it was just at the time that uh, people like Dave Golden and others were releasing LP records with old-time radio on them. So my very first uh, purchase was, uh, oh, I think it was a fly-by-night company called Memorabilia LP or something like that. But uh, they did two episodes of The Shadow with Orson Welles, and that got me hooked on old-time radio um, just from having that cartoon background of uh, loving the voices. And you haven't stopped, of course. Oh, no, no. I'm, <laughs> I'm as crazed as all of us. <laughs> Good. All right, so... You have selected a number of programs that are your favorites for various reasons, and over the next few weeks, we are going to be listening to those along with more commentary from you. So why don't you start out and tell me, the first one up is an episode of the Stan Freeberg Show from September 1st, 1957. I love Stan yes. Freeberg. Tell me why you picked this one. Well, I, I, I also loved him, again, as a kid, uh, I was gifted with the Capitol Records 2 LP set, which was called the best of the Stan Freeberg shows. And this is years before I heard the actual full shows, the 15 that he did in the summer of 57, right as radio was on its last legs, uh, as we know it. And uh, the connection, and especially because we're theming these 10 broadcasts to your uh, audience uh, around radio people who also did animation voices, well, Stan Freeberg, of course, is uh, well known as uh, your guest, Dr. Demento, related. You know, when he was a, a, in his late teens, he just um, did an audition for uh, Warner Brothers. In fact, I think it was then Leon Schlesinger Productions before Warner Brothers bought it. They released all the cartoons through Warner Brothers, and uh, he ended up doing a few voices, um, supporting characters to start with in, uh, in cartoons. And also I felt that as, a, as an opening episode on this theme, 
the Stan Freeberg show also features these two classic people who are now known by many of the um, listeners as cartoon immortals, and that's Dos Butler, who uh, was the king of Hanna-Barbera's early television cartoons, Huckleberry Hound, uh, Snagglepuss, all these great voices, and the great June Foray, who... uh, you know, really was best known for Rocky the Flying Squirrel and Natasha Fatale, the master spy, and Freeberg himself. And and this is a particularly interesting episode simply because the final skit, um, they redo Freeberg's most popular record with a live audience. And he gets an enormously good reaction because he has a great studio audience uh, in this episode. It's the, you know, the St. George and the Dragonette, which is the the incredibly funny little tight parody of Dragnet, one of radio's immortal shows. So there's a lot of radio and animation connections in this particular episode, and I just thought it would be a good one to launch this theme. Well, that's great. Uh, you mentioned Stan Freeberg doing various um, cartoon voices. My, mm-hmm. my brother-in-law in Los Angeles area, he still lives there, I don't, he when I was dating my wife, he would make these weird sounds uh, as <laughs> Pete Puma, and I oh, had yes. no idea who Pete Puma was. And eventually, <laughs> I figured out that Pete Puma was Stan Freeberg, who I already liked. Right. Uh, and right. I guess he appears in several cartoons doing this Pete Puma voice, and that, that well, was it was only it was only one cartoon, but it was it was such a crazy character. People remembered it uh, all these years later. And really, what it was was Stan Freeberg imitating Frank Fontaine when he used to be a regular for one year on the Jack Benny Show in 1950. Um, before years later when Frank Fontaine became crazy Guggenheim, but he was, you know, on, on Benny's show, he was doing that sweepstakes winner. And so he just exaggerated that already exaggerated voice slightly, and it became Pete Puma. <laughs> oh, okay. So I didn't know that. Uh, I know who Frank Fontaine was, and I'm familiar with his voice. And now that you put it together for me, yes, that, that does sound like Frank Fontaine. Okay, boy, I learned something new every day. Like that. Yeah, yeah, that was it. Yeah, that was it. And my brother-in-law uh, used to do that all the time. I'm like, what is he doing? Like, well, that's Pete Puma. <laughs> and now you're telling me there was only one cartoon. I thought there would have been a dozen of them. It was so well known. Uh, it was, it was, he- it was a Bugs Bunny cartoon that this character Pete Puma appeared in, but it, it was such a strong voice. People just remembered it, and it seems like there were many of them, but no, just the one. Oh, okay. Well, amazing new information for me again. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to listen to the Stan Freeberg Show from September 1st, 1957. Then we'll have some comments on that, and we'll close out for this particular episode and come back again next week with another one. So here is the Stan Freeberg Show. This is the eighth show of the series of the brand new radio series. From Hollywood, we present the Stan Freeberg Show. With the music of Billy May. Plus the songs of Peggy Taylor with Dawes Butler, June Foray, Peter Leeds, and the Judd Conlon Rhythm Airs. You may not find us on your TV. Because in case you did not know, we're being brought to you on... Brought to you on, brought to you on R-A-D-I-O. Thank you very much. And to start us off tonight, we've invited back for the second time on our show, the Zazaloff family. As we told you, they're Swiss. This way, we didn't offend anyone. (laughs) This is probably one of the finest acrobatic acts in the business, and rather a novelty on radio. Ladies and gentlemen, the Zazaloff family! (laughs) Here they go, ladies and gentlemen. Magnificent to see you. I wish you could see it. And they're bouncing up in the air. Look at that. Why, he's holding them up in the air by one. Hey! Very good. And now wearing purple tights. And look at that! My goodness, that's amazing. Eighteen men, ladies and gentlemen, on one end of a... Yes, 
Wonderful, wonderful. Um. <laughs> and now on the way to the show. Um. Hey, uh, Stan. Well, what is it, Dawes Butler, as they say in radio? Uh, what are we gonna do next? Well, I tell you, Dawes, I was wondering the other day. Wondering what? How the good humor man stand it. Can you imagine driving an ice cream truck around all day long, let alone all summer long, with the same song flailing you about the ears? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. How often do they change that song, I wonder? I don't know. See, those chimes that drive me nuts. Yeah, what song do you hear most often? Uh, London Bridge is Falling Down. How about you? I hear London Bridge quite a bit. Uh, Pop Goes the Weasel is very big on our street. <laughs> let's, let's write a screenplay about it, okay? Okay, and uh, let's have the titles appear on ice cream bars. That's good, that's good. Twentieth Century Freeberg presents <laughs> Uninterrupted Melody. This is the story of men in uniform, their loves, their hopes, their dreams, and of the task to which they have so devoted their lives. Yes to that gallant corps of heroes, the good humor men of America, is this picture respectfully dedicated. <laughs> Do you know what it's like after having a day off with the family to try to sleep on the night before you report back for action? Do you know what it's like to lie there and live with fear? Charlie Krasmeyer knows. Charlie. What are you doing? I'm lying here living with fear. <laughs> well, try and get some sleep, sweetheart. Yeah, yeah. I'm just lying here thinking about tomorrow. Well, you just mustn't lie there thinking about tomorrow. Tomorrow, it's Pop Goes the Weasel and <laughs> hundreds of grimy little hands reaching out for ice cream bars. <laughs> Walter Yoder cracked up last week. I saw him when he took him away, Sue. It... it wasn't pretty. Oh, hush. Hush. Are you sorry you married a good humor man? Oh, no. No, 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 no. Oh, no. Are you sure... no? Are you sure it wasn't just the glamour of the uniform and all? Charlie. Charlie, I'd love you whether you had that white coat or not. Yes, men like Charlie Krasmeyer know their job is no easy one. But they live with it, and they report for duty every day at the plant, where their boss, the chief commander, F.C. Barr, is just now entering the building. He opens the door and confronts a small, bald man with horn-rimmed spectacles who looks up from the piano. Green? Uh, morning, Commander. Yes, what's going on around here? That's all I want to know, Green. I heard one of our trucks over in Westwood playing hound dog. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, Listen, I had that truck taken out of service immediately. Nursery songs, that's all I want to hear. They don't cost us anything. But I see, the men get punchy from nursery songs. They're cracking up out there. Cracking up, you say nonsense. Every American loves nursery songs. Besides, they're free. <laughs> yeah, but... Maybe you'd like to go back to television and write briar patch leg jingles. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. That's my sore spot. <laughs> Say, here's a little thing I've been working on this morning. Now, how does this strike you? <clears throat> the three little kittens, they lost their mittens, and they began to cry. Meow! Meow! Wait a minute. Meow! Hold me. it. Hold it. Sure you aren't using a Costellanitz arrangement? <laughs> Positive. It's good. Oh, yes. 
by one of our more enthusiastic salesmen, I see. A cute board for three days now. He came in last week. Get him out of here. Take him out. He's too enthusiastic. Get him out. From the, uh, from the acute ward, you say? Yeah, poor devil. I know him. His name is Heinegger. <laughs> he had the nerve to ask me to take him off London Bridge and put him on Yankee Doodle two weeks ago. But he had a month to go yet. That's a trouble with labor today. Wishy-washy. <laughs> that's right, F.C. You bet that's right. Now get back to work. I got an employee pep meeting in five minutes. <clears throat> This is the briefing room where every morning 200 white-coated good humor men sit glumly staring into space, horribly calm, not daring to think about the day ahead of them, only anxious to get the job done. All righty, men. Yes. <clears throat> Thank you for that splendid ovation. <laughs> Let's stand up and sing our little song now, and let's sing it like we were in a good humor, eh? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> humor, humor. Yes, we are good humor. That is not no rumor. Yay, music, music. How we love the music. Lovely nursery music, tinkling as we go. Earplugs, earplugs. We won't wear it all, or we will be sentenced to a hundred days of Yankee. Well, that was fine, just fine, man. <clears throat> you can tell a real GH man every time, I always say. You know, you don't eat our bars with your fingers. There's a stick to it. <laughs> well, man, that's the key to successful selling. Stick to it, right? Yay. <laughs> yes, ice cream salesmen are the backbone of this nation, if you ask me. You men keep up the good work, and one day soon, I'll have your chimes tuned. <laughs> see if I won't. Now, I won't hold you, because I know you're anxious to get out in the field. Bart, pardon me, Mr. Barr, sir. Well, Charlie Kranzmeyer, what is it? Uh, I've been on Pop Goes a Weasel for three weeks now. Could I please trade with Jones here? He's got four and twenty blackbirds baked in a pie. You know the rules, Kranzmeyer. The cycle's eight weeks. I, I can't stand Pop Goes the Weasel. I come home at night, I can't sleep. All night long, I hear a penny for a spool of thread, a penny for a needle. I'm sick of it. Sick, sick, sick. Oh, now, let me have his song, sir. I, I like Pop Goes the Weasel, honestly. Nonsense. Pop Goes the Weasel is Kranzmeyer's assignment. Just for that outburst, Charlie, you can't have four and twenty blackbirds at all. When your time is up, you'll get the farmer in the dell. Not the farmer in the bell! I had that last cycle! Get back in your seat, sir! Do we get him up, so don't we? Well, well, we can talk about it. I put me down! This is mutiny! Oats, peas, beans, and barley grow. Oats, peas, beans, all nursery songs. Nuts! I am the laughing stock of Robbins, Feist, and Miller. I gotta get away from this. I'll just take a shortcut through the parking lot here. Hey, that's funny. Somebody left their motor running. What's this? Somebody bound and gagged in the front seat. Heavens to popsicles! FC, it's you! And somebody's tied greasy ropes around your nice brown suit. F.C., that ain't no brown suit. You've been dipped. Let me get that gag out of your mouth there. Oh, gee, boss, you got little bumps all over. You must be all pecan crunch underneath the chocolate. <laughs> Yes, for you, Charlie Krasmeyer, and thousands of ice cream men like you, courage is not a sometime thing. 
and a tin ear helps. <laughs> Salute you men in white coats. You're a brave and gallant bunch. You stand for right and liberty to say nothing of pecan crunch. Thank you. Well, we hope you enjoyed our stirring documentary tonight, Uninterrupted Melody. Now, some folks might think this would be a good spot in the show for Peggy Taylor to sing. It is. She's going to sing not 79, not 81, but around the world in 80 days. Count them. Around the world I searched for you. I traveled on when hope was gone To keep a rendezvous I knew somewhere Sometime, somehow You'd look at me And I would see the smile You're smiling now It might have been Or gay Paris, or even London town. No more will I go all around the world, for I have found my world in you. to meet our panel of experts who are back with us tonight as, uh, as we ran over two weeks ago and we did not finish our discussion. I'm glad uh, that you could be back with us, Dr. Linus Coit. Thank you. It's nice being back. Mr. G.L. Spoon. Good evening, friends in Radioland. And finally, and finally, Mrs. Edna St. Louis, Missouri. The pleasure's all mine. Although it does seem to me I got second billing last time. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> After all, uh, I do have a master's degree in Tarzan. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, indeed, Miss uh, Missouri. Well, be that it may, we're not going to bring up tonight any of the other things we discussed two weeks ago. For example, whether or not Often Annie has one red dress and one pair of long white cotton stockings that she washes daily and wears over and over, or many red dresses and many white cotton stockings. I know that one. Oh, doctor, I know you do. Uh, I know you do. But I do we, know uh, that answer. Yes, I know you do. But we won't go into that. I huh? didn't get a so, yeah, doctor's uh, degree in Little Orphan Annie for nothing. Yes, well, uh, <laughs> well, boy, uh, you know this guy's really got to rub in that doctor's degree. Yeah, well, well shall we? Time? Shall we move ahead well, to other questions? Uh, 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 but we uh, promised that. Yeah, I know we did. Now, shall we? Uh, well, you uh, promised, now you promised you gave me your word out in the hall before we went on the air that we wouldn't have any kind of discussion. Yes, huh? that's absolutely oh, true. That's true. Let's pass the peace pipe here, for goodness sake. Yeah. Now, 
I've received my master's degree in oh, Tarzan, boy. and you <laughs> insulted the ideal of my life when you said Tarzan was 72 years old and wore a hairpiece. <laughs> well, it does. I'll apologize if Mr. Spoon will. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, well, okay, look, I'm, I'm sorry. I'll take back what I said about uh, Tarzan's hairpiece. <laughs> if you will apologize publicly for calling Dick Tracy a big jerk. Listen, <laughs> <laughs> Tracy happens to be, and the biographers will agree, one of the greatest living American heroes. And he's just recovering from a severe head wound as well. <laughs> well, I, I'm terribly sorry. I, I apologize. Oh, I yes, do. indeed. Aren't we getting along famously here tonight? That's <laughs> oh, very nice, sir. That's very nice. And believe me, Miss Missouri, I didn't mean to insult Tarzan. Between you and I... Between you and me, Mr. Ooh, that education. That's <laughs> rather nice of her to do that to Between you, you and I, he's a great ape man And truthfully, if you didn't get right up there on the newspaper with a magnifying glass You couldn't tell he wears a wig Wears a wig? Yeah, he does wear a wig You yeah. should have as much hair on your bare skin rug Oh, well, I don't think it's Listen, Listen, please, 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 Put us on slow, boy. Yes, sorry. Now we'll go to our first question tonight. Uh, it's uh, in Dick Tracy. Now, this is the question. Does or does not Junior wear a fright wig? Well, the answer <laughs> has to be negative. Uh, it's the boy's own hair, and it certainly doesn't take Dick Tracy to figure out where that question came from, Miss Missouri. <laughs> I beg your pardon, Mr. Spoon. I had nothing to do with that question. Oh, no, those, look, those questions... People, people, oh, listen. Well, I call him Mr. Spoon. Here, let, I have a feeling. I have something to say. Listen, listen, people, people. Yes. Uh, be that as it may, it is a fright wig on the boy. It is not a fright wig on it's the boy. It's a fright listen, wig. It is not. It's the uh, same uh, hair that any 12-year-old boy... 12-year-old boy? 12-year-old boy. Why, he's older than little orphan Annie. I think that is a personal affront, madam. Hold it. We've been all through this. If anybody should be drawing Social Security, it's you and Tarzan. This woman should look that good in white cotton stockings. Look, Junior, the subject is Junior, right? That's right. He's a normal American boy that any mother would be proud to call her son. He's got a good head on his shoulders. He's an artistic boy as well. How many boys do you know who could sketch pictures for the crime lab like he does? Well, I, I, <laughs> don't make me, don't I, make I, me I, sick I don't. to my stomach. <laughs> you don't believe that you don't believe that kid really draws those pictures, do you? Of course he draws those pictures. Oh boy. Oh boy. Listen, he's got a ghost uh, artist, and if he does draw them. I could take that cigar of yours and draw a better picture with the ash. <laughs> I could. Believe me, I could. Gentlemen, we are having just a little bit of fun at the round table tonight, aren't we? Oh, <laughs> oh it's lots of fun. <laughs> I'd like to say it's Sandy. <laughs> Sandy, Sandy just, that just... idiot animal. Uh, uh, please. How would you like me to punch you in that big, fat, uneducated nose? Now, you please, let him have no, 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 Let's oh, move on boy. to the next subject now, huh, shall we? All right, all right. <laughs> now, here, uh, could or could not Buck Rogers beat Flash Gordon in a ray gun fight? <laughs> Tarzan could make monkeys out of both of them. <laughs> Take him against Punjab and Mr. Am with his disintegrator cane and be a one-sided affair, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Listen, I, uh, I happen to live by the Dick Tracy Code, and we're here to stop ray gun fights, not to encourage them. <laughs> <laughs> if you're talking about a showdown in self-defense, Tracy can wipe up Rogers, Gordon, Punjab, Sandy, and the antique ape man, oh. and he can do it with Cardui under one arm and a bandaged head. Why, you viper! Antique you are a viper! Ape man. If someone shoots you in the chest, extract the bullet and look for small telltale bore markings on the slug and then call a doctor. 
That's a crime stopper. <laughs> yes, indeed. It's, uh, and it's good night to Dr. Linus Coit. Leaping lizards. Some folks don't realize just how lucky they are until some other folks shows them how much they've got. Little Orphan Annie, King Feature Syndicate, 1947. Yeah. <laughs> and finally, finally, our Tarzan expert, Miss Edna St. Louis, Missouri. Oh! Well, so much for literature. Uh, <laughs> we have received <clears throat> so many card and letter. us to do St. George and the Dragon that, to say nothing of countless phone call, <laughs> that uh, we have decided to dig it out of the trunk tonight and dust it off. I'm very fortunate to have the two people who made the original record with me, June Foray and Dawes Butler, who also wrote it with me. Peter, if you please. <laughs> legend you are about to hear is true. Only the needle should be changed to protect the record. This is the countryside. My name is St. George. I'm a knight. Saturday, July 10th, 8.05 p.m. I was working out of the castle on the night watch when a call came in from the chief. A dragon had been devouring maidens. Homicide. My job. Slay him. Call me, Chief. Yeah, it's a dragon again, devouring maidens. A king's daughter, maybe next. Mm hmm. Got a lead? No, nothing much to go on. Say, did you take that 45 automatic into the lab to have him check on it? Yeah, you were right. I was right? Yeah, it was a gun. <laughs> 8 22 p.m. I talked to one of the maidens who had almost been devoured. St. George, ma'am. Homicide, ma'am. I want to ask you a few questions, ma'am. I understand you were almost devoured by the ma'am. Is that right, dragon? That was terrible. He breathed fire on me. He burned me already. How can I be sure of that, ma'am? Believe me, I got it straight from the dragon's mouth. 11.45 p.m. I rode over the King's Highway. I saw a man, stopped to talk to him. Pardon me, sir, could I talk for just a minute, sir? Sure, I don't mind. <laughs> what do you do for a living? I'm a knave. Didn't I pick you up in a 903 last year for stealing tarts? Yeah, so what, do you want to make a federal case out of it? <laughs> no, sir, we, we heard there was a dragon operating in this neighborhood. We just want to know if you've seen him. Sure, I've seen him. Mm -hmm. Could you describe him for me? What's to describe? You see one dragon, you've seen them all. Would you try and remember, sir, just for the record? We just want to get the facts. Well, he was, you know, he had orange polka dots. Yes, sir. Purple feet, breathing fire and smoke. Mm -hmm. And one big bloodshot eye right in the middle of his forehead and uh, like that. <laughs> Notice anything unusual about him? No, he was just a run-of-mill dragon, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yes, sir. All right, you can go now. Hey, 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 by the way, how are you going to catch him? I thought you'd never ask. A dragon net. 3.05 p.m. I was riding back into the courtyard to make my report to the lab. Then it happened. It was a dragon. I'm the fire-breathing dragon. You must be St. George, right? Yes, sir. I see you got one of them new 45 caliber swords. That's about the size of it. <laughs> you slay me. 
That's what I want to talk to you about. <laughs> what do you mean? I'm taking you in a 502. You figure it out. What's the charge? Devouring maidens out of season. <laughs> out of season? You never put that rap on me? Do you hear me, cop? Yeah, I hear you. I got you in a 412, too. A 412? What's a 412? Overacting. <laughs> Let's go. September the 5th, the dragon was tried and convicted. His fire was put out and his maiden devouring license revoked. Maiden devouring out of season is punishable by a term of not less than 50 or more than 300 years. We're a little folks, so good night, late. I mean, uh, we're a little good night, so folks, late. We're a little, well, never mind. Until the next week, this is Stan Freeberg saying thanks for listening. God bless you and good night. Stan Freeberg Show is produced in Hollywood by Pete Barnum and is written by Stan Freeberg, Pete Barnum, and Dawes Butler. Featuring the music of Billy May, Judd Conlon for the Mayors, and the songs of Peggy Taylor, with Dawes Butler, Peter Lees, and June Parade. Bud Sewell speaking. from Stan Freeberg's personal master recordings, The Stan Freeberg Show from September 1st, 1957. We're here with our special guest for this show and for the next weeks of shows, Keith Scott. Well, any comments on this one further? Well, that was, uh, you, you're still getting me there, I guess, for all the way down to Australia. Um, <laughs> the uh, I, I think in, in that show, you can hear uh, just the marriage of, of how... The top radio actors uh, worked so well in animation for our uh, theme of shows here, especially in St. George and the Dragon Net, because uh, uh, he'd worked with Dawes Butler ever since Time for Beanie, the puppet show in 1949. So uh, they knew each other's um, uh, timing inside out. And, uh, you know, um, in, in the J. Ward Fractured Fairy Tales, many of the voices that uh, Dawes Butler and June Foray did on the Stan Freeberg show ended up uh, in the Fractured Fairy Tales cartoons, you know, the, uh, the little Jerry Lewis knave and, and the Brooklyn princess and, um, and the, the, of course, the fire-breathing dragon. And, uh, it, you know, it really was um, an industry where they borrowed talent from each other, uh, both radio and cartoons, from around about 37 to 57. That 20-year window really was uh, just an exchange of talent. Of course, the radio people did many more radio shows. Uh, cartoons were just an occasional gig for most of them, except for the top 10 people like Mel Blanc and Doss Butler, who um, were called for animation gigs time and time again. But uh, volume-wise, radio shows still made up the biggest percentage of their income. Yeah, in order to keep working, you did radio. You couldn't just wait to do a cartoon every yes, few exactly. months. Um, a couple yep. things from that show. The uh, right near the beginning, he did this little thing with people from from Sweden or something, and he said he did that way he wouldn't. Oh, Swiss, Swiss. <laughs> that way he wouldn't offend anyone. He was way right. ahead of his time on that with all the uh, PC and woke crowd. I, you know, I think I think you've already um, had the famous episode of Elderly Man River. Yes, we uh, did, and that was where I I found Freeberg from 1957 to be so, what's the word, prescient, that he predicted the you know, offense industry to, of today and, and political correctness and all of that years and years before. And, and that's amazing to me that stuff like this holds up so well. And we're talking half a century ago. Right. It's also great that we can actually hear it, that it isn't lost like many radio shows. 
Yes, yes. Um, well, the, these are particularly valuable because Freeberg was, as I think you pointed out in one of the Dr. Demento shows, that uh, he was such a, a a great satirist by the time he was in his um, late 20s, uh, Freeberg. His his mind was very attuned to parody. Like, uh, I think Jack Webb, who was kind of a doer personality, was just delighted when they presented uh, you know, the uh, St. George and the Dragon Net record to him, and he gave his total approval, you know. Sure, yeah. Um, all right, so on a personal level, did you ever get to meet Stan Freeberg, Dawes Butler, or oh, Jim yes. Foray? Well, then oh, you, all of them, all of them. Then you've got to tell us some well. stories. Tell us some stories. What was Stan Freeberg well, uh, like? I've talked about him a little bit because I've met him on many occasions, but what's your right. take? Well, I think I think you were there at that Spurdvac meeting in '93 that he turned up uh, and um, did a long talk about his career, and I was there with Ken that that morning. Um, but uh, no, I, I knew him. Um, I guess he really um, sort of got to know me after my book, The Moose That Roared, was published because I mentioned him in it and Time for Beanie, and uh, you know he told me some really funny little things because. Uh, let, you know, I think he was kind of aware of the fact that people knew he had a pretty gigantic ego, <laughs> but uh, he he liked talking about Paul Fries, who had the biggest ego of all of them. Um, a lot of this ego is just uh, insecurity, you know, but uh, it came across as uh, a little arrogant to some people in the industry. And it was so funny that uh, Freeberg was saying about, you know, he, he did that LP, Stan Freeberg Presents the United States of America, which I'm sure you've heard. Oh, yeah. And, and volume uh, two as well. Yes, yes. And, uh, and of course, Paul Fries was the uh, narrator all the way through that, doing a, <clears throat> a real sort of exaggerated Orson Welles, like uh, Stan Freeberg modestly presents the United States of America. Right. And when he, he told me that when they did that recording, Paul Fries ad-libbed modestly. He, 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 he wasn't in the script. And... Freeberg pulled him out. I was like, "Come on, Paul! What, uh, what are you? What are you trying to, you know, add things?" Uh, I didn't write modestly, and he said that Freeze said back to him, "Stan, it's going to stay." <laughs> so he had the battle of these two enormous um, egos <laughs> in well, the studio. That's interesting. I didn't know that was an ad lib line. It fits perfectly. It does. It fits. But then again, Paul Freeze had such a great comic sense too, and. Uh, so, but no, he was he was great, and of course, and I I knew Doris Butler from that first letter I wrote in 1970, and uh, <clears throat> it was like when I was a kid, I was only like 16, 17, and I'd been listening to that album of the Stan Freeberg shows for years, and and uh, there was little photographs of Doris Butler and June Foray in there, you know, and it made them look human, or it, otherwise I just knew them as names on the screen, like cartoon voice credits. So I finally decided to write to them. I remember my mother saying, you know, these people are so busy, they'll they'll never take the time to write back. They won't have the time, you know. <clears throat> and I was delighted that, that Doris Butler contacted me with a long, very helpful letter, sent photographs. And June Foray, then a few months later, she was incredibly helpful. So I got to know all of these people. And, and lo and behold, I ended up working with, with June Foray, a childhood idol. And it was, again, one of those dream-come-true moments, you know. So... Uh, yeah, I, I, I knew all of these people. Uh, I even met Peter Leeds, who was the, the voice in um, that Freeberg show. He was the, the announcer at the beginning of St. George and the Dragon Net. He even did a few cartoons, like a couple of Mr. Magoo shorts at UPA. So really, the, the radio industry made total use of these uh, great voices for uh, animation. I think the, the, the one that he said, there was a, ca a character in that skit that they did in that show we just heard, which was the uninterrupted melody, the uh, the good humor men. Yes. And it was the, the guy who was writing the jingles, and it was this this voice he often did on Fractured Fairy Tales for absent-minded kings. And when I asked him about this, I mentioned that uh, the first time I heard it was on the Freeburg radio show where he's going, uh, uh, oats, oats, peas, beans, and barley, oh, oh, nuts, you know? And that ended up being his famous Captain Crunch voice. I was going to uh, say, that sounds like Captain Crunch to me. Yeah. And, well, he just exaggerated that voice even broader for the for the cartoon character. It was like, uh, oh, hello there, sea dogs. Captain Crunch here, you know. But he told me that that voice was a, an impression that he used to do as, as a teenager himself of this 1930s character actor in movies called Charlie Butterworth. Oh, okay. Was, I uh, Charles I think, Butterworth. Yeah, sure. he was... 
yeah, he was a regular on the Fred Astaire Packard show in, in 37, 38. And he had that very absent-minded quality about him too, where he'd say things like, uh, I woke up this morning, uh, I took my usual plunge uh, down the stairs. <laughs> Great fay humor. Doris Butler did confirm that uh, many of the voices he and Paul Fries did in, in animation that became famous cartoon characters, this I learned when I was quite young, but now it makes perfect sense. All of them were imitations of old deceased character actors, uh, because in those days, as you know, the voices were much larger than life uh, um, and theatrical compared to today's more uh, underplayed method of acting, which... Uh, uh, can either be realistic or sometimes, to be brutally honest, it can be a little dull, you know. And yeah, <laughs> being an old schooler like yourself, I, I just love all of those great broad character voices because they're just so memorable, you know. Well, they had so, voices uh, then, and they had faces yes, then. As that's say. great. That, that's that's a, a great paraphrase of the Gloria Swanson line from yes. Sunset Boulevard. <laughs> <laughs> See, you know where I'm stealing my material from, too. <laughs> All right. Well, no, great. But... I'm glad that um, you can give us some insights there on Stan Freeberg, Dawes Butler, and June Foray. Uh, we're speaking with Keith Scott, the famous and infamous and very famous Australian um, humorist <laughs> and impressionist, and uh, the author of the book. Uh, tell the audience the name of the book again. The new book is called Cartoon Voices of the Golden Age, 1930 to 1970. And for anyone interested in, in either cartoon voice actors or radio actors, there's many, many references to all-time radio throughout each, each studio narrative showing how they, um, you know, relied on each other. Each industry relied on the other for uh, voice talent. Okay, so, uh, and where uh, does one buy said book? Ah, uh, these days it's fairly easy. It's uh, it's either through the publisher BearManamedia dot com or through Amazon, and it's in two volumes. The second volume is a filmography of of each studio: Warner Brothers, MGM, Columbia, UPA, Disney, Walter Lance, and all of their cartoons with voice credits for the first time in decades. Uh, for, and and the roles that each each actor played, so it's a it's a very uh, ambitious reference guide, and it, it will no doubt create a volume two in years to come because new information is is always popping up in unexpected places. Same as with radio history. Sure. Well, let's uh, let's give Ben Omart and Bear Manor Publishing the official plug because I'd much rather support yes. them than the giant Amazon. But if people yes, are, yes. have their Amazon account and they're used to their Amazon <laughs> whatevers, then go ahead and buy it on Amazon. But we prefer, or I'll say I, you can speak for yourself, I, I prefer you buy it direct from Ben Omart and um, Bear Manor Publishing because they publish all kinds yeah. of great books related to they vintage radio and vintage film oh yeah as a matter of fact uh, his second book way back in the year 2000 2001 was um a biography of paul freeze that he he asked me to write but i didn't have time and and he wrote a great book on paul freeze and i gave him a lot of uh, reference material june foray did the foreword to that book and i i provided an afterword about paul freeze's radio career so he's been publishing deliberately publishing anything that's to do with the obscure areas of showbiz and he's to be applauded for that because uh, he's now up to like over 700 titles uh, which is an amazing achievement yeah it's a, it's a stunning catalog of of yes. movie radio history yeah it sure is and just about any semi-obscure subject or person you right. can think of has a book done on them and is available from Bear Manor Press. And they should be sponsoring this podcast after all of this, but yeah. whatever. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Ben's a good guy, so I don't mind giving him free plugs. Oh, yes. Yeah. All right. Well, this is John Tefteller in the good old days of radio show. Special guest today, Keith Scott. Keith, uh, you'll be back with us next week. What show do we I have to, to tease? That for next week what are we hearing next i week? think i think we should go uh on, on show number two with the greatest acknowledged voice artist of them all the great mel blank and his own radio show 
Okay. Now, for years, I had no idea Mel Blank had a radio show of his own, but recently I bought a large amount of radio transcription. There was a whole run of Mel Blank shows in there. So uh, I do know that now he did a radio show, and we're going to hear them. I haven't heard any of these. So uh, next week will be a treat for me because it will be something I've never heard before, and we can talk about that next week. In the meantime, Keith, thank you for appearing on the Good Old Days of Radio show today. We'll be it's back. my pleasure, you guys, and it's a great podcast I've been enjoying for the last year and a half, and I'm very happy to be a guest. Good. Well, you'll be back with us again next week, and thanks so much to everybody listening. Check out the Facebook page, Good Old Days of Radio show. Check out the website, goodolddaysofradio.com. Keep telling your friends. Spread the word far and wide. Uh, this special series with Keith Scott. Make sure all the film and cartoon fans that you know are tuned into this because there'll be all kinds of fun information and fun shows to listen to. So until next week, this is John Teftiller saying goodbye.